When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It was very good. Um, Saturday was a brilliant race. Chaos, just all the championship drama you'd won um, and is lacking from certain series we cover. Um, Sunday was less so. Sunday was more like a a 2021 spa. Um, Yeah. Or Belgian Grand Prix. Um, But yeah, so it was was a good weekend in total. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's... uh, it's always nice when you can commute home um, over a race weekend. So, yeah, I very much enjoyed it. Thank Without you. the use of aeroplanes, yeah. It's always good, yes. isn't it? Um, well, that implies that I, I, I like private jet back and forth. <laughs> it doesn't. Which I absolutely, no, <laughs> absolutely no. do not. You did not get a jet to Silverstone, I can confirm. I no. I don't think you did anyway. Okay. Um, and we have Abby, who was holding it down at HQ. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm, I'm glad it's the summer break and we have... A few weekends off from racing. I think everyone deserves that in the motorsport community, but I'm good. How are you, Ollie? I'm very good, thank you. And we have a uh, jam-packed show today. We're going to do our weekend ratings, uh, discuss practice and quality, the sprint shootout, the sprint race, the national anthem review, 
I forgot the quiz and also the race review. So we will get there. Um, there's a lot I'm to cover. St- I'm starting to see why we have done that sprint Saturday separately <laughs> so far. But obviously, didn't quite work out this weekend. So, uh, yeah, next time. We've got three more this season. Oh, Unbelievably. God. It seems ridiculous, isn't it? It is a lot of work. It really is. But, you know, we, it's about the sport we love. So we really enjoy doing it. Um, let's start off with our weekend ratings. Uh, just to clarify here, this is encompassing the whole weekend, right? So that is F1 action. So all of the sessions, what did you think? Rate it out of 10. Abby, I'll start with you. So I'm rating it a 6 out of 10, which is a rating I haven't given before this season, looking at the tracker of all our ratings. But I've given it a 6 because there were quite a few overtakes, lots of different strategies with diverging tyre compounds, who obviously had Sainz and Piastri contact, Perez and Hamilton contact. But other than that, it felt like everyone finished the race where they started, which isn't true. But because there wasn't like loads of drama, it just felt a bit meh. And the rain didn't really impact the race either. So I've given it a six. Impacted one of the races. It's delayed start. Yes, but not the Grand Prix. Yes. Which is the longer one. Although Verstappen... And his engineer were very entertaining across the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah that so, was a yeah. real. Uh, oh, I'm sure yeah. we can get into that a bit. But yeah, we will. We will. We will. Sam, what did? What would you rate this weekend? I'm going to give it a six point five. Uh, the last couple of seasons, and and we go to Spa expecting high drama because traditionally, yeah, obviously weather comes into play, but weather, I think, unless it's kind of light and changeable isn't a good thing for the spectacle in, in Formula 1 anymore. It's, you know, Pirelli themselves came out and said, look, the wet tyre is essentially useless um, and redundant. So, yeah, you get those, those those issues. And then also when you're in an era when there's one team that is so dominant, a track like Spa, they just run away with it. So it's been less of a show the last few years. In fact, we've had now three pretty poor um, Belgian Grand Prix back to back, which is a shame. Uh, so yeah, six point five. There were some redeeming features in the sprint race, but again, I'm I'm still struggling to ultimately get on board with them. Um, and again, F two and F three, some pretty good drama there. So yeah, definitely did a little bit of heavy lifting heavy this lifting. weekend. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, six point five on the McKenzie scale. Yeah, uh, do you know what? Because we're recording on Monday. I sort of have to, to to think, what did I take from that weekend? And I've had to sort of go back, go back over it. And based on that, it wasn't a memorable weekend, I don't think. So I'm going to go for a 5.5. I'll put in the bottom rating, but it was still better than middle. So we're going to talk about practice and quality for F1 before we do our quiz. So I'm going to hand it over to Abby to talk us through just top line what happened in uh, practice and also quality. Well, practice, obviously, because it was a sprint weekend, they only had FP1 Friday morning. It was a wet session and we did see a red flag because Sargent stopped at Lacombe after aquaplaning and hitting the barrier. And the top three in that session were Science, Piastri and Norris. There's not much else to take away from practice. And then with qualifying... It was Friday afternoon, but it did set the grid for Sunday, which a lot of people, and I find it confusing because you have a whole day in between that you forget what's actually happened. But in Q1, it wasn't raining, 
but the track was still quite wet. Norris did go off into the gravel and he did damage the floor of his McLaren, but he did manage to carry on. Hulkenberg only managed to set one lap time after the suffering a hydraulic issue. And then Ricardo, he was going to make it into Q2, but he had lap time deleted. So it was Albon, Joe, Sargent, Ricardo, and Hulkenberg that went out in that session. And then in Q2, you had Mercedes and Alonso out in Inters. Hamilton was noted for rejoining the track unsafely in front of his teammate. And Albon was noted for the same thing in front of Gasly, but no penalties came from that. Ocon hit the wall at one point and broke the front wing at the corner with no name. And at that point, Verstappen's time was only good enough for ninth, but it did mean he was through to Q3. And it was Sonoda, Gasly, Magnussen, Bottas and Ocon out of Q2. And then heading into Q3... We saw um, McLaren struggling a little bit. It was touch and go for Mercedes and Perez to cross the line before the session ended. But it was Leclerc who took provisional pole, but was then ultimately beaten by Verstappen. But then because Verstappen had his five-place grid penalty, Leclerc did then start the Grand Prix in P1. But the order was Verstappen, Leclerc, Perez, Hamilton, Sainz, Piastri, Norris, Russell, Alonso and Stroll after Q3. So any takeaways from this, Sam? It looked like McLaren were having quite a good weekend. Yes, they slipped back a little. Aston Martin, what are your thoughts? I thought McLaren's a really interesting one to look at because they went for quite diverging strategies, or at least setups, rather. So you've got Oscar, Piastri, who's gone for the more traditional spa approach of a, a thinner wing setup, so you know lower downforce. And then... Norris, who was more set up for for adverse weather conditions, a high downfall setup, which obviously pays dividend yeah, paid dividends in those wet sessions for him. But interestingly, the interestingly they did converge to round about the same area, um, which it, it can do over one lap. A race is a different story, um, but yeah. So they they relatively speaking, they took a little bit of a step back. I think they were kind of expecting that. It's difficult to make a you know make the 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 progress they have done and then just that be locked in consolidated it's a, a moving week by week track by track upgrade by upgrade um situation in f1 at the moment so yeah that's uh that's where they are um but very much cemented in that top five alpine very much now seemingly on the outside looking in um as for aston martin it <laughs> Again, like they know that they've gone wrong somewhere. In the development, they have introduced some issues to the package, which they need to identify and iron out. They are safely in that top five still. They have taken a step back and that's been reflected, but they did have a more positive weekend than they have done. And again, it was reflected by uh, by Alonso's result. One thing I took away, and yes, there are changeable conditions in the Q3, but the split between Verstappen and P10. So Verstappen, sorry, Lance Stroll was 2.6 seconds behind Max Verstappen. Charles Leclerc, who qualified second, um, obviously then pushed up to pole, but he was 0.8 of a second behind Verstappen. Verstappen is, you know, we, we, we talk about him being in the best car, but what he is doing at the moment is absolutely incredible. When it matters, he can deliver. I mean, there's no contesting that, is there, Abby? It, 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 what he's doing is just magical. And then 
even with Lewis and um, George, we know that they had different setups as well. Um, but there was still half a second there. But it's still Max Verstappen, almost, you know, just looking into the distance, you can see his car. It's just incredible. It certainly is. And it's just like a testament to Max as a driver. I know I'm not the biggest fan of him, but if I look at him as a driver and his talent and just pure speed, he is like he is amazing he obviously won again i think red bull have got the record after hungary and the difference between him and perez as well i think because perez he's in the same car he's part of the same team but he just doesn't seem to be on verstappen's level and can't really challenge him which is a shame because it would have been good to see two teammates battle but verstappen is just he's just max verstappen and up there and dominant and out front and no one can stop him yeah and i think if you you analyze those top five teams and the, their lineups at the moment actually some of the differences that you see between say red bull and the sm martin drivers and even now mercedes the last couple of rounds really shows just what a great job oscar piastri is doing to be so close to norris Given the experience gap, given that Norris has had years to develop into that car, he knows it more, he knows the teams, his surroundings. Oscar Piastri, you know, a little over 12 months ago, didn't know, or, you know, 13, 14 months ago, didn't know he would be at McLaren. He would have assumed he'd have been, well, we all assumed he would have been at Alpine. So that, I think, is testament to the job he is doing. But then if you do run through that order, on Red Bull, I think... When you look at the fact that Aston Martin, there's a a performance gap between Alonso and Stroll. We know that. Alonso is a just quicker and more pace. He's he's got more tools at his disposable. And then I think someone like Hamilton and Russell, obviously there's a smaller gap there, but Russell's out of form. You then use that logic, apply it to Red Bull. And it's a compound effect for Perez. He hasn't got what Verstappen has, and he's not in form. And that's why you're seeing such huge gaps between the two of them. And like, even there was that poll that you um, that was put on a, on our kind of group chat about that. Like, do you think that they've got the same car? Almost like it was, you know, tongue in cheek. Obviously, they absolutely do. And yes, it has been developed towards Verstappen's driving style. We know that. That's obviously what they're going to do. But it's a it's a golfing class it's it's growing into a kind of chasm really um and yeah it doesn't doesn't bode well for for Perez that he just even on a better weekend for him he still just doesn't look like he's where he should be I think that damage from the last few weeks has r- really kind of set in and I just don't, I don't know I can't see it working long term from here now, some of the trends that we've spoken about um, with with these drivers, they follow through the weekend, so especially for Perez, and also the top form of Oscar Piastri. Um, so we're going to get into the sprint shootout in just a moment. But before we do, we're going to do the Formula Nerds quiz. It's that time of the week where we do the Formula Nerds quiz and Abby will be taking us through it. So over to you, Abby. Thank you, Ollie. Now, this one is all about the Belgian Grand Prix, given that we just had the Belgian Grand Prix before the summer break. We did. We did. 
Because apparently there's lower rainfall in July. Yeah. How's, how's yes. that for irony? <laughs> <laughs> so, to start you off, question one. How long is the Spa-Francorchamps circuit? 3.2 or 6 kilometres. Mate. Nope. 6.9 kilometres. Uh, miles, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is in miles. I have the answer in kilometres. And... Yeah, Sam, you got it. It's I have it as seven kilometers, so six point nine round up. What is seven km in miles? Four point three. So no. no. But you Stop got it. Sam got it. Question two: The Belgian Grand Prix was one of just seven races in the Maiden F1 Championship of 1950. Who won the race for Alfa Romeo? <laughs> Where's, dri- where's, where's James? Yeah, where is James? It's a driver with three names. One Manuel Fangio. Yes. Yay. Well done. There we go. See, you're on a roll. Question three. Which F1 driver has won the most Belgian Grand Prix? Oh. Michael Schumacher. Correct. Mm. Bonus point if you can tell me how many he's won. Six. Correct. Uh, <laughs> 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 Ollie, where has that been for like six months? How long have we been doing this quiz? How long have you been carried by me and James? Yes. And you just Oh, you've you've been holding back. Yeah. You've been sandbagging. <laughs> this ain't pre-season testing anymore, mate. And maybe because I just saw that stat a few hours ago, but um... Question four. What is the name of the first corner of the Spa Frankershop circuit? That's the hairpin. What's it called? I don't know. <laughs> T1. Yeah, turn one. Um, Stavlot. No. Oh, fuck. I know this. I mean, I've, walked, I've walked underneath it, for fuck's sake. Um, what's it called? Should we go with the old turn one, Sam? Because we know what that is. Au rivage. No, no, that's not it. <laughs> Who knows turn, turn names? Oh. This is going to really annoy me. James will know this. Yeah, James is going to be annoyed when he listens to this. I'm not scared of James, but I don't want to disappoint him. <laughs> what does it begin with? It's two I feel words. Like it's an S. The first word is la, and then the second. Oh, word la sauce. Begin. La sauce. Yes. God. There you go. Oh, it's so obvious when you know it. Question five. One of the corners of the circuit is called Stavolo. Which turn yeah, number yeah, is I'm this? Not, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, have we made that question up based on what you just said? <laughs> I don't know. Turn 15. Moving on. Question 6. Which driver started their 100th race at the 2008 Belgian Grand Prix? 100th race. It was also his 10th win. Well, that would be Kimi Raikkonen then. No, Fernando. No, not Fernando Alonso. In 2008? 100 Grand Prix. Oh, no, because Kimi Raikkonen crashed out. Hamilton actually won it, but Kimi Raikkonen crashed out. Hamilton got a penalty. So who technically won it? 100th race. So that would have been... Did did someone say Fernando Alonso? (laughs) Yeah, you did a second. You went to say it. It's It's not Lewis Hamilton, obviously. It's either Kimi Raikkonen... No, Kimmy Crash. Felipe Massa. It's Massa, correct. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Honestly. 
Question seven. The 1998 Belgian Grand Prix is known for the major crash at Turn 1. 22 drivers started that race. How many drivers finished it? Oh, it was like seven. Close, but not quite. Six. No, eight. further away. Eight. <laughs> Question eight. Which of these corners was not present on the old spa circuit as used between 1921 and 1978? Was it Pujon, Stavelot, Blanchemont or Masterkink? Pujon and Masterkink. All right, Ollie, this is a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> um, You've said the right answer. In one yeah, I, I think it Pujon. Correct. Or Pujon. Or poo on, yeah. <laughs> Question nine. Three circuits have hosted the Belgian Grand Prix. Name them. Zolder. Mm-hmm. Spa Francorchamps. Yep. The Hague. No, that's that's not even Bel- that's not even Belgium. No. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Belgium? No, there's it's Netherlands. No. Yeah. Netherlands? Yeah. What's the thing in Belgium? The famous thing in Belgium? In Brussels, you mean? Yeah, the U, the, the UN. No. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, no. It's um, uh, it's like the FIA of, of Europe. Um, the European Union. We call it the European Union. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, don't, I can't remember what it's called. There's a name for it. It was um, Nivelle. Nivelle. Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't know it, so you know. There you go. Didn't get that um, one. Final question. Max Verstappen won this year's Belgian Grand Prix from sixth on the grid. This means he has a record of nine winning positions. One other driver has the same record. Who is it? Fernando Alonso. Correct. Well done. I believe you got eight because I gave you a bonus point. <laughs> Do you want to recount that? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> I mean, who, I was who could have like legislated? Okay. Who could have legislated for Ollie actually contributing? <laughs> <laughs> no, you did get eight, I think. So, well done. And that is the end of the Formula Nerds quiz. So, going into the sprint shootout on Saturday morning, it was all a bit of a a drama with weather, really, um, as to what was going to happen. Um, But, Abby, would you like to talk us through the third sprint shootout of the year at the Belgium Grand Prix? Yes. So... The sprint shootout, Wally, was, it did have a delay start because of the weather and it wasn't declared a wet track though, which is an important thing to note for SQ2. So SQ1, Hamilton set the benchmark, Piastri was looking to show immense pace. Hulkenberg, unfortunately, after qualifying last in the Grand Prix qualifying, qualified last in the sprint shootout qualifying because he went out very late in the session and left it at the last minute to set a lap, which means that he then didn't cross the start finish line before the clock went down. And Russell also only managed to scrape through into SQ2. So it was Sonoda, Bottas, Magnussen, Joe and Hulkenberg out in SQ1. SQ2 then saw Sargent spin and bring out the yellow flags, but he managed to get going again. And then it got interesting because Stroll was the first driver to come in for the slick tyres. And because it is the sprint shootout, Wally, the format of that is hards in SQ1, mediums in SQ2, softs in SQ3. But if the track is declared wet, then the teams can use whatever tyre compound they like. But because it wasn't declared wet, Stroll had to go out on the medium tyres 
which then he then lost it and brought out the red flags halting the session so it was ricardo albon sergeant stroll and alonso out of sq2 sq3 then saw all the drivers out on slicks and ultimately verstappen went fastest but it was Piastri who qualified P2 on the front row, and then Sainz, Leclerc, Norris, Gasly, Hamilton, Perez, Ocon, and Russell as the order of the top 10. Now, one of the biggest talking points of SQ3 was, what were the Mercedes doing? Um, they, they really, they tangled um, on their on their hot lap, and it wrecked both of their laps. Now, Mercedes were very quick to come out and say it was their fault, it wasn't the driver's fault, but really... I think Russell should have probably pulled out and got out of the way. He, he compromised himself in turn one um, and then held up Hamilton and ultimately himself through the rest of the lap, which cost them positions, surely. Uh, Sam, what was your take on that? Any other takes for uh, the sprint shootout? Yeah, it just looked like they weren't on the same page, the two of them. There was They, they obviously hadn't anticipated that happening. And then so it's very difficult to sometimes react on the fly and that's what you saw there. And the team weren't quick enough to then be like, right, no, this is what we need to do right here. It went on for too long. And by the, by the time it kind of was over, it, both laps were done, really. So um, in terms of, the, I mean, the obvious one to, to go for is Piastri again. And it's, you know, P2, brilliant result. But how close he was to taking the, the sprint pole it was what, like a, a, ten, a, a what, a hundredth of a second or so, or two. Like it was, he gave Verstappen a run for his money there. Like fair, like fair play. He is really, really coming into his own the last few weeks. And yeah, I mean, it, it bodes well for not only the second half of the season, but next year for McLaren if they can start to consolidate these gains that we keep on talking about. Um, they could be a, a real interesting package next year. And a lot of t- a lot of the talk over Saturday was um, Alpine changing their senior management, but they had a really good result on the back of this. So um, they got themselves both into the end of SQ3, and it looked like a bit of a turnaround from the form that they've having. Obviously, they haven't finished the last two races. Um, Abby, do you think this was a bit of a middle finger to uh, the departure of their, their senior managers, or what, what do you think is going on there? What's your take on Alpine? I think they, obviously earlier this season, Laurent Brossi said some very strong words, which seemed to give the team a bit of a kick up the bum because Ocon and Gasly were then performing well. But as you said, they then had two weekends where they had double DNFs. And now they're looking to have come back a bit stronger, but they have got rid of three key senior members of the team, the chief technical officer, the sporting director and team principal, which are three major players. And I wasn't expecting them to have to have it announced before the Belgian Grand Prix and then go, this is their last weekend and then they're out before the summer break. But I think they just need to like rearrange the whole structure of the team and focus because they were performing higher than McLaren. But now, obviously, they're not. They're now sixth in the championship. And I think it is a shame for them because I feel like they have the potential in Gasly and Ocon. And we've seen that throughout the season so far. They have had some good results. I mean, Ocon got a podium in Monaco. But now things have gone downhill. So I think they're kind of refreshing, having a clean slate so they can have a fresh start for the second half of the season to hopefully claw back some points and close the gap to McLaren. 
whether it'll work or not, who's going to replace um, who's going to replace Otmar Zafnauer fully full time? It will be interesting to see. But yeah, that is a very unusual move to remove your team principal mid season. This isn't like football where you we're often bringing in a new manager or bringing someone in at the top is actually exactly what you need because it reinvigorates the team and the squad f1 is a very different sport your preparations and all the work the foundations everything even logistically is baked in weeks and months in advance so you often don't want to make those changes it's precisely why we saw ferrari not remove uh, Mattia Bonotto until the end of last season. It's it's peculiar to do it in in Formula One in this way. But also, harking back to Laurent Rossi's comments earlier in the year, they were incredibly, incredibly explosive. Very, very like, you know, as you say, Abby, kind of kick up the bum, get on with it. The drivers did that. They responded. The rest of the operation, less so. And then obviously the powers that be are looking around and go, look, they've done their bit. We're not now not seeing the rest of those dominoes fall in place. So yeah, Lauren Rossi obviously was the first um, casualty of that. And now we're seeing the after effects and the aftershocks of, of those moves earlier in the month. Alpine have struck um, as a team that, just is there's there's a lot of turbulence there's a lot of turnover attrition it, it's not stable there clearly and maybe that's starting to affect the end product because yeah i mean the sky has showed the list of all the kind of people who have left in the last year and also someone made a really good point on twitter i can't remember who it was but selling that stake that they did earlier in the year kind of says to me that the renault group or said to them, and actually I agree, that the Renault Group aren't completely committed in this F1 project, which I think is potentially, again, part of the issue. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how this pans out. And um, there's a lot of pressure on the drivers now to um, continue delivering with such an, um, you know, such such change at the top. Um, but let's get into the sprint race. <laughs> So the sprint race was again played by rain. So it was reduced to 11 laps uh, rather than the 15. And it started behind the safety car and it was a rolling start. Um, so this made, well, for what I thought was going to be quite a boring start, but it, it actually threw a lot of strategy into it. So Verstappen decided to stay out. But what else happened, Abby? Well, as you said, Verstappen stayed out, but Piastri, Science, Hamilton, Perez, Gasly, Ricardo, Stroll, Albon, Bottas, and Hulk, one driver from each of the 10 teams, decided yep. to come straight into the pits and they changed on to Inters. So it was a complete split strategy across the teams, which, like you say, Ollie, did make the sprint race more entertaining because sprint races aren't always that entertaining. But having this, it was very good. Yeah, every now and again, you get something like that happening right on the crossover point between tyres. And that's where they were. So the first driver, as you say, Abby, of each team came in. Everyone else had to do another lap. And yeah, it's it, it made it interesting. I'm not surprised that Verstappen didn't come in. So okay, so everyone except for Red Bull, where Perez was able to do that. Because you can't take that risk as the, the lead runner. 
exactly what we saw in Abu Dhabi 2021. Lewis Hamilton couldn't have pitted um, because Verstappen would have just done the opposite. Um, and again, we saw that in Hungary in 2021 as well, with uh, with Hamilton being the sole starter on the, the grid. Uh, yeah, threw up some fireworks. It made an interesting battle between Piastri, who led a race, very exciting for him, and Verstappen, but that was somewhat neutralised by Fernando Alonso making a very, very uncharacteristic error. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw Fernando Alonso make a completely kind of what seemed like an unforced mistake. Especially on his birthday as well. You would have thought, you know, he was in a brighter spirits than to do something like that. Maybe he had been out partying the night before. I mean, maybe. Well, I just wanted to say... Happy birthday to Alonso for Saturday, but it wasn't very good because, as you say, he did retire. And two of his F3 drivers, who are part of A14 management, championship contenders also retired. So I think the sprint Saturday was a day to forget for Alonso. And it was his first retirement of the whole year so far. But, I mean, once once we got underway again, I mean, I don't know about you guys, how you guys feel. I felt like Piastri, and this is to be expected, he's inexperienced, it's his first safety car restart in Formula 1. I think he went too soon. I think, as Martin Brundle said on the on the comms, you leave it late. You don't give Verstappen a chance to get a run. And Verstappen did get a run, and yeah, quickly dispatched of Piastri once the race got on the way. And from there, that was a foregone conclusion. Even reduced... Um, lap race he was able to to gap the the field considerably but there was quite a lot of drama behind involving a certain Sergio Perez again and Lewis Hamilton again well yes (laughs) yes so they touched right I mean it wasn't much contact um it was deemed that Lewis Hamilton um was at fault and he got a five second penalty it led Sergio Perez to retire from the race. This looked very much like a racing incident to me. And I'm I'm trying to be completely It's because it was a racing incident, Ollie. Well, yeah. To yeah be fair. It was. And you know, James McKenzie, who is not with us today, um, but he always says you've got to penalize what happened, not the cause of what happened. Right? So I'm just like you make it sound like he passed away. No, he's no longer with us. He is he's still with us. Um, but he always says it, right? And it it just was ringing in my head when I was watching this happen. It was like they penalised him due to Perez retiring, not the actual event that happened, right? Yes, exactly. It's that kind of, yeah, you... Not kind of the... It's almost like the ends justified the means in in that penalty decision when really it shouldn't be, shouldn't be that way around it. Yeah, as James always says, you've got to just look at the incident objectively without any kind of the repercussions. And... I saw someone on Twitter kind of trying to justify it and they've got a, they've taken a still image of Lewis Hamilton with his steering wheel facing towards Perez. And it's like, but he's correcting. It's not as simple as on a damn track at high speeds when you're racing someone else that you're just like in the direction you should be. Sometimes the car has a snap of oversteer and you've got to go the other way to keep it in the straight line. And I think they just managed to get that really, really quick moment there and used it to kind of cast our own aspersions. For me, it's a slam dunk racing incident mm. because as you say, they were racing. It, it was, it was close and 
Hamilton, it was his... He was alongside him. It mm. wasn't like he had, he dive-bombed him from way back. They were side-by-side side going through that corner. I, I've got to just say, Sam, I really did enjoy you driving your microphone there. Um, and, then, and, then, and then hitting it, <laughs> hit by accident. Yeah. I thought that Hamilton had a puncher. Now, let's say Hamilton had a puncher. He would, you know, it wrecked his race. How would they have penalised it differently? We don't know. But it definitely looked like they penalised the cause. Abby, what did you take on it? Um, I, I'm, I'm assuming you think the same as us. I do. As Brundle said, Hamilton had claimed the corner, so he can't just disappear and like not be in Perez's way. It was a racing incident. The stewards were very quick to decide to give Hamilton the penalty. I think if they really wanted to look at it more closely, wait until after the race and speak to both drivers, get their take on it. And Science and Piastri kind of had the same incident. Science kind of had the same damage and Science managed to go for a lot longer with said damage. Um, it was just interesting that Perez was like, I have no rear grip. I can't drive it properly. And then Red Bull were like, okay, retire because Hamilton hit you. But yeah, racing incident, especially an 11 lap race in the wet. It's, yeah. I don't even think the retirement was critical to the decision i think they still would have given hamilton that penalty because of the damage even if he'd been able to continue but also again it's been an hour or two since i've seen the the incident again so i've forgotten quite some of the detail but i feel like perez didn't fully utilize the runoff area which is the curb and then a bit of the kind of the green stripping stripping striping whatever it's called you know the carpet kind of material the felt um yeah the yeah whatever it is which i imagine was <laughs> i don't know if that's a technical term sort of, but yeah who knows um but i feel like there was space that perez could have utilized further outside on that corner and he didn't and then he got hit so you know um but yeah i think re- realistically the, the the nexus of the retirement was that he then was compromised tire pressure then you know, it goes up and you know, it comes out of his window. Very, very difficult to keep that car facing the right way. And a lap later, he went off the same corner. So, yeah, proof is in the pudding, I guess. So, the end of the sprint race, uh, Verstappen won. There's a surprise. It was Piastri in P2 with Gasly in P3. Hamilton finished P4 with Sainz behind him in P5. Leclerc in sixth, Norris in seventh, and Russell in eighth. However... After Hamilton's five-second penalty, he was bumped down to seventh. So, it is that time of the week where we get into the world-famous National Anthem Review. I feel that this week is a particularly good one. Now, I was not expecting to see what I saw, even before we started singing. <laughs> it was ultra special, this one. I, I, now, I think that the organisers of the Belgian Grand Prix may listen to this show because it's everything we've been asking for. Um, Sam, I'm going to start with you because you just watched it before we started recording and your reaction was quite honestly priceless. Um, so what was going through your head when you were watching this and what would you rate it out of 10? I really don't know what you mean. I felt like it was fairly low key, um, so I'm just gonna have to kind of build from what I know. Um, joking aside, I'm actually gonna go straight out with my my rating straight off the bat. For me, to uh, to quote the uh, the beautiful South, which uh, for some of our older listeners will resonate 
Abby has no idea who the beautiful South are. Um, I'm no. going to give it a perfect 10. Yo! I... Perfect 10 is a song by the band Beautiful South. Abby's looking at me like, right. I'm talking gibberish. <laughs> but anyway, on to the... I thought it was perfect. I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. Who could have predicted that that was going to happen? The sun, the, the little sunglasses. So my mate, um, it was a stag do a few months ago, and we had a um, what's called a shit shirt night. Apologies for language. And one of the guys wore a flame shirt, like you know the ones that you wear, um, yeah, at like year six discos, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and he also had matching glasses, like the same glasses <laughs> that guy had. They were brilliant, um, and. I, Everything the the, the the I mean the cheerleaders was a bit strange. That that was the one bit when I was like, mm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. But I'm not going to take marks away for that because of the balloons they have balloons. Like, <laughs> why do they have balloons? It's just there's, there's so much chaos. I just don't understand. Like, where is the logic? I, I can't piece together how someone sat down in a group and went. Yeah, this is what we need to do. I'm telling you, this, they've, this, they've this. listened to this, Sam. We've quick, we, we, we've criticised nearly every national anthem, including our our own. Um, um, uh, imagine all year they've been watching the national anthems and they go, you know what? As well on, that was cool. <laughs> Austria, that was cool. You know what it needs? More balloons. <laughs> it just, it's just so so bizarre. Also, I didn't quite catch the fella's name, but the guy who clearly is you know important in Belgium, uh, looking very bemused, a little bit embarrassed, um, which is everything you want. You want to embarrass the politicians, you, you know the the suits, as it were. Um, but also the the drivers, how well they contained themselves. Um, Lando Norris looks a little bit like kind of embarrassed to be uh, of Belgium. He said, yeah. <laughs> bless him. But Fernando Alonso is having a great time. Uh, a real birthday present for him. And George <laughs> Russell as well was, was trying to hold it in. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I actually think I'm going to go back and rewatch it. And also, I haven't even mentioned his cape. Or the, again, yeah, the, like, the gold say. and the bands like, behind, or were they band people? They were dressed like kind of smart. Why were they there? Like, it's just, yeah. I'm conf- it just confounds all logic. I could confirm. So, yeah. Everyone behind him was doing nothing other than holding exactly. balloons or, or To be fair, we've, we've seen this. Mm. And, you know, there's a saying in writing that great writers um, don't borrow. They steal outright. And I feel like Belgium have kind of really lived this, that ethos, where there's been a few national anthems where... Where was... Oh, no, it was Damien Lewis's national anthem yeah. at the British Grand Prix with the band that just didn't do anything. They borrowed that, and I like that. They're taking ideas. They're going, yeah, I'm going to cherry pick. It's like an all-star cast national anthem. It's fantastic. <laughs> I, you know what? I could I could sit here legitimately for the rest of the podcast. I don't even need to discuss the race. Who cares about if it was a <laughs> you know a, a, a racing incident between peri- between science and and Piastri into turn one? I want to know who that guy was. I need to get into Belgian pop music. He should be Euro- Eurovision act next year, hands down. Maybe think- he has been in the past. Who knows? I found Sam's true passion. I haven't sound you heard you sound that um, enthusiastic about anything. <laughs> it's because I'm not. Other than national anthems. No. Oh, wow. Okay, so we got a 10 from Sam. Wowzers. Um, Abby, what are you going to give it? And did you think it was that good? Well, see, now my rating seems really harsh. Go, go on. Go on, keep it. <laughs> keep it. Exactly. Yes. Give it a three. <laughs> like, completely blow my mind. 
No, I've given it five and a half because. What? Wow. <laughs> Shut the front door. Wow, that is low. Abbott, you. It was not bad, but it was also not as good as I think you think it is, Sam. Um, the guy, I feel like, was trying to channel his inner Elton John. The cape was cool, but I feel like the people around it had so much promise and then they just stood there doing nothing. And like the cheerleaders, I was really confused by them. They could have done a little routine. Exactly. There was a lot of promise, but it didn't live up to it. Um, But I've given it the extra 0.5 because it was in French or Flemish. And I liked that bit. (laughs) French or Flemish? (laughs) Well, you know, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm with Sam here. I'm not going to give it a 10, but I'm going to give it a 9.5. I I haven't enjoyed it. It was the best part of the weekend for me. It it genuinely was. And how many times... part of my life. (laughs) How many times did he fist pump? I mean, it's in the hundreds. (laughs) He was just going like that all the way through it. Uh, Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, It was obviously comedy factor, but it was absolutely brilliant. It had this real kind of like, and Ollie, you might need to take this out depending on you, know, but it had this real kind of like, fuck yeah, I'm Belgian kind of like <laughs> yeah, feeling exactly. about it. And it was, oh, yes, loved it. Love that confidence, just exuding, just real kind of, yeah. You know, he stepped away and he went, I had a fantastic time today. And, and yeah, that's what it's about. It. <laughs> <laughs> he stepped away and went, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Well, that's your highest national anthem rating, Sam, of the season. But Ollie, it's not your highest. Which one was mine? I've, I've given a ten on you. I had Austria. You rated oh, ten. I out remember 10. it now. No. Oh, uh, <laughs> Abby, when you were like, "Well, Sam, that's your," I fully thought you were going to be like, "Well, Sam, that's your opinion." <laughs> well, Austria. Ollie gave a ten. I gave it a four point five. So, yeah, we clearly have different tastes. We do. Oh, no, the Austrian one was a banger, certified. It's in my iTunes. I've just checked. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if that doesn't tell you how old Ollie is, the fact it still was iTunes. (laughs) I was about to say, Apple Music, yeah. Um, But that is the end of the world-famous National Anthem Review. We hope you enjoyed it. So on to the final part of the show, which is talking about the Belgium Grand Prix, the the final one, the actual race, the thing that happened last. The second most important part <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> yes, the conclusion. Um, so it was a clear on pole because Max Verstappen had a gearbox penalty. And he got a great start off the line, but chaos pursued behind him. Uh, Abby, would you like to tell us what happened to your beloved McLaren? Yes, it was very sad to see because... So, Perez had pulled across harshly to block Hamilton, which meant that Hamilton was then on the outside going into La Source, turn one. If you've paid attention to the quiz, you'll know that La Source is turn one. And Science and Piastri were then in a three-way battle with Hamilton, but Science locked up going into the corner. And because he was trying to avoid Hamilton, it meant that Piastri was then squeezed into the wall Sainz ended up with damage to his sideboard and Piastri ended up with damage to his suspension, which meant that he then had to retire on lap two from the race, which was very sad because he had had a good weekend and it looked like he could have scored some decent points in that race. But unfortunately, that wasn't how it turned out for him. So quote Zhou Guan Yu, he, uh, he squished him 
He's squished him. He's squished him. Now, we've already spoken about the incident with um, Perez and Hamilton. I, I thought, if anything, this was definitely going to get some sort of penalty, but it didn't. It was a racing incident. No no investigation necessary. Um, it did look to me, if I'm being totally honest, like a bit of a naive approach from Piastri. Yes. Well, isn't it? wasn't it his first time racing at Spa? No, like first time in three first years. First time in three years. First yeah. time in three years. So but, it's McL- the McLaren is also he like, did it the day before. Admittedly, he didn't just start. Yes. Okay. It was his first time in a day. Yeah. I will concede. <laughs> I haven't done this since yesterday. <laughs> no wonder. I- <laughs> yeah. Um, no, to be fair, it wasn't a standing start. But quickly, before we actually talk about the incident, notice how it was Perez that started with his aggressive move? All bad things start with... No, I'm joking. Um, but and to be fair, Sergio Perez, it was a very aggressive move and that I, it opened up gaps where the guys behind hadn't anticipated them to be and closed the gaps where they were moving towards. So it did cause a little bit of confusion, which is, as you said, really kind of how it started. But this always happens at Spa, right? We, if you look back through history, they always turn one incidents where people are getting squeezed, someone's overcooked it. It just felt to me like if Piastri had just read the situation a little bit better, um, he knew he wasn't going to get into the lead. So just manage that. Just, just go a little bit more easily. Sorry, what were you going to say before I uh, send you a pair you? No, I was just going to say that the McLaren from past teammates of Norris has been notoriously hard to drive and it is his first season and Piastri's first season. And I think, I feel like there was a little bit of pressure on him, maybe given his success from the Saturday that he's then like, okay, now I need to like keep up this performance. And ultimately, like you said, Ollie, it was a bit naive of him to go that route into turn one. I mean, it is easy for me to sit here and say it was a bit naive of him. And, you know, Abby, bless you. You're definitely giving him the sympathy card here. Um, you know, bless him. You know, it's his first time. He feels under pressure. But one, the one thing I've not felt about Piastri is that he's... First time into La Source. Terrifying. <laughs> but he's, he doesn't feel pressure. He's performing all the time. It just felt like this was a bit of a uncharacteristic um, approach from him. Uh, Sam, do, do you know what I'm trying to get at? I completely agree. It's so easy for us to sit here, um, having never sat in a single-seater racing car in my life, let alone turned one on, let alone complete a lap, let alone raced one. I'm so far removed from (laughs) actually what it's like to be in that situation that it's always difficult to kind of really give an accurate uh, depiction or, or fully appreciate what it's like to be in that moment when everything's happening so quickly. So, yeah, there is that. I do, I, I do, however, believe that it was a racing incident. Yes, Carlos Sainz overcooks it. He made a mistake. But, and it, it isn't the first time we've seen him do that into turn one, but it is the first corner of the first lap. Generally, those are given as racing incidents. So, it's, yes, Piastri was maybe a little bit kind of hopeful putting it where it was, there's a big hard wall there, like, you know, if something goes wrong, you're in trouble. And that did happen. But ultimately, it's a racing incident. Yeah, I think it's harsh to give a penalty for that. 
I'm going to go on a slight tangent, so control me. But what other circuit, a genuine question, has a hairpin as the first corner? I can't think of any. I mean, not a tight, tight hairpin. No, like I mean, they all have turns, but... Um, yeah, yeah, but a hairpin... Yeah. <laughs> not a tight, tight corner. Um, I mean, technically, like, Suzuka has two corners that essentially make a hairpin at the start, and they're yeah, high they're, speed, but they're very, it's a very different feel. Yeah. Um, has a hairpin at the start. Oh, let's... Um, Bahrain. Bam. First race yeah. of the season. Yeah, yeah, First track right. I came to, yeah. apart from Suzuka. But it doesn't have a wall, does it? And it seems to change the no. characteristics slightly. It does, because you can just go off on the inside if you need to. And yeah, you need to be more careful. There, there are elements to, to the spa circuit that, you know, at, well, elements to that first corner is very street circuit-like. Yeah, and Spa is a completely unique circuit. We know that for for so many different reasons. Um, but yes, Piastri hit Science, and from there on, it was a bit of a nightmare for Science. Now, I can't really work out why they kept him out so long. Someone in the Formula Nose team chat said that he was um, he he was the rain spotter for the race, so he was on the other side of the circuit looking for rain for the other Ferrari. I mean, he was just falling back through the order. But what this did do was create fantastic battles further back and um, what was your take on science and the decision to keep him out for pretty much no reason i was a bit confused at the beginning because or i thought he would have at least been pulled in because if you looked at his side pod it wasn't like a clean hole like perez had it looked like there were still parts of it like hanging off of the side of the car which i thought would have prompted race control to pull him in because it would be potentially dangerous if they fell off on the track and caused debris to be on the circuit. But, you know, it was Ferrari at the end of the day and they make confusing strategy calls a lot of the time. It was a shame to see him fall back because he did start in a good position and I feel like Ferrari were particularly strong at this circuit compared to others earlier in the season. But, yeah, ultimately... He kept falling back and kept being overtaken and had to retire on lap 23. Yeah, it, it, it was very much... I, I, You know what? I kind of buy Ferrari's explanation for it. We're hoping for a red flag. We're hoping that something would have happened. I kind of get that because if you'd retire the car a few laps down and there's a red flag and you could have fixed anyway, it's like, mm, well, that's kind of frustrating. So that could have potentially been an opportunity there. Um, but yeah, it got into the race chances of red flag kind of started to reduce and yeah obviously weather would have been a factor there so i'll let them have it it was a bit of an odd call but i'll let them have it so we did have a ferrari leading the race for uh, charles leclerc but it didn't last very long till perez got past him and it also didn't take very long for max to work his way up the field he was in p4 by the end of the first lap and he took the lead on lap number 14 um it was just another I can't even think of a word for it. For, to uh, to convey Ollie's true emotions there, I'm going to explain <laughs> the face that he just pulled. He just kind of looked out his window like a kind of forlorn soldier who's just got back from war with this kind of like, really kind of like, you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding, kind of that was the worst Italian accent ever. But that, you know, the line. Um, and kind of just shook his head, like real disdain. He you're really kind of fed up with the season. I, I am a bit fed up. I'm impressed with Max Verstappen. I mean, he, he is incredible, but it, it just, it's too fast. And he, you know, Perez pitted, Max took the lead, then Max pitted. 
And then two laps later, he's in the lead of the race. <laughs> and by the end of the race, he's 22 seconds down the road. Is it Perez or is it Max? Let's have that conversation. It's difficult because they're supposed to be in the same car. So you would say, well, Perez just isn't performing and he can't work the RB19 to his strengths. And Max is just on another level. But just the difference in time of like qualifying laps and how far ahead Max can finish. Like Perez finished in P2, but he wasn't like that close to Max finishing. Um, But I do feel... Perez this weekend, to me, it seemed like he was kind of channeling his inner Max to be a bit more aggressive than he usually would because he knows I need to perform. The summer break's coming up. I need to keep my seat so I can't like just let other drivers pass. I can't be less aggressive than what Red Bull or Max would normally be. Um, But yeah, there's a clear difference between them. But I do think Perez's the best teammate to Max out of like potential drivers that could join Red Bull. But yeah, Max is another league, as we've said. Abby, I noticed that you didn't vote in our poll over whether Max Verstappen has a better car than Sergio Perez. If you'd like to give your answer now, that would be interesting. Well, I think he does, personally. I know he yeah. shouldn't. And it's, you never know, like... Everyone who isn't involved in Red Bull can sit here and speculate and come up with theories about all different sorts of things. So they shouldn't have different cars, but there's just got to be something because Perez is a good driver. He can win races, we've seen that. He can get podiums, we've seen that. But there's just something there that doesn't like sit right with me. I, I, th- I think you've almost said it in and o- Ollie don't don't think that I haven't noticed that you haven't done the poll either I have Sam have you yeah I have I voted first to say that I think they have exactly the same car right okay but going back to the actual kind of conversation Abby I think I think a lot of it is in what you just said Perez is a good driver Max Verstappen is an all-time great, or will will be an all-time great when all is said and done. He is well on his way there. Um, I've said many times I think he'll be the most decorated F1 driver by the time he retires. Um, And I think that's a big part of it for me. Max Verstappen is... I, I can't remember really, like... I look back at... I think Hamilton is absolutely superb, but I don't know if you could say that Hamilton was operating at the level that Verstappen is so consistently for so long. Hamilton would always, there'd be an, there'd be an off weekend. There'd be a, a performance that wasn't quite up to his usual self. Whereas Matt Verstappen is this season is just, you know, since the first few rounds, he's been peerless uh, in that sense. Um, but also I think that, <laughs> I was saying earlier that Perez just, it hasn't kind of come to get like, and it looks like the last few weeks have affected him. It just kind of has fallen away from him. I think that the, the effort is there. He's doing the right things. He's doing what he can do. He is trying to be more aggressive. We've seen it that weekend. And some, some of those things go well, they work well for him, but it just never quite kind of coalesces in the way that it needs to. 
And it, I think it will depend on whether or not, a little bit like race control and penalties, whether or not Red Bull view it on the the effort and the approach he is taking or if they view it on the actual kind of the full outcome and results. Usually it's very much the latter. Will they take a different approach with, with Perez? I don't know. It remains to be seen. He's contracted for next year. I'm not fully confident in that contract at this stage. I do agree with that. And I think if you look at the drivers on the grid, there is one driver that, to me, like, just breathes F1 constantly. And that is Max. Like, even Hamilton, he said earlier this season that, like, he can't wait to go on holiday. And sometimes he prefers going on holiday to being in F1. Whereas I feel like for Max, it is just... F1, 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 that is all he sees. And even towards the end of the race, once Red Bull had pitted for a second time, Verstappen pitted after Perez, but he managed to keep an eight-second gap to Perez and managed to maintain that lead throughout the rest of the race. So, yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, I said to James McKenzie the other day, actually, that I think that Lewis Hamilton and Michael Jordan are, in my opinion, the two greatest athletes of all time. And I'm going to stay with that. Even though I've said what I've said about Max Verstappen, I think there are other factors that mean he he isn't of that level. But I think if you're looking at raw performance at the moment, Verstappen is just I can't I I almost can't comprehend what I'm seeing when I'm watching. It's that good. He is that good. It's just yeah, like it just doesn't compute. You kind of see it, but you don't really kind of take it in. And when you take a step back, you go, wow, that is mad. That is just ridiculous, the level he's operating at. Now, I think it's time we've got to have this conversation about the conversations between him and GP. Now, throughout the weekend, they were snappy at each other. And my father-in-law today, actually, he came around and he said, how much longer are they going to put up with Verstappen being like that? And my answer, and my answer was, as long as he's winning... He can do whatever the hell he wants, right? And if Max can control himself, control the car, understands what he's doing, and can still deliver, the, no one's going to tell him off. But the moment that he's disagreeing with the team, saying, I can do this, oh, you want me to, uh, you know what, I'll go even faster and then I can have a pit stop. The moment that he does that and it backfires is the moment that he cannot do that anymore. However, I will say it's, it's pretty rude to talk to a race engineer like that. And uh, there's definitely a bit of tension. There, it, there has to be. It's not just all for show, is it? Sam, what's your thoughts? No, I don't think it's all for show. Like, because it kind of, yeah, it's mildly entertaining, but also it just suggests that there's something deeper going on behind the scenes there's more at play uh, that we don't know we're not privy to it could be anything it could be absolutely anything it could be that GP forgot Max's birthday or vice versa like it could be something as kind of menial as that um, you know we all saw do, do you remember the whole Yaya Torre the ex-Manchester City midfielder got really offended when the team forgot his birthday Man, the club they didn't get him a birthday cake or something people can be very very fragile anyway so it could be completely innocuous, but it was consistent throughout the race. Maybe they're just having fun with it. Maybe they've just been like, oh, like, you know, it was a bit of a bit for them. Who knows? Um, I think if it carries on over races over the summer, that's when you start to go, hmm, 
this is a bit odd because we've seen them have moments like this in the past, like Singapore last year, Max like, you know, fully lost it. Um, and I imagine some harsh words were had behind the scenes, but that is kind of part and parcel of being a race engineer. You have to absorb all of that emotion and that all the feeling when you're in a car, you know, on on route to winning the the Fournerie title over the weekend, Jake Dennis was swearing down down his you know kind of his radio at various things going on throughout the race, and you just kind of absorb it. You just take it in. You you have to in that moment. Some drivers they like it given back to them, and I think maybe Max is one of those where he wants a bit of like back and forth, and he can take it. Other drivers they just wouldn't be able to cope. Is it because he's bored? Is it because he's so dominant? He's just got that extra headspace. I mean, I mean I'm interested to hear what you think, but the way that uh, GP said, okay, then Max, you tell us what we'll do on the next run. You tell us the run plan, fuel load and all of this. Um, you know, he, he just bites straight back at him. And then, and then it did actually seem like it started with GP on the Sunday where he was saying, use your head, Max be smarter, be smarter. And Max goes, all right, then I'll pull out an even bigger gap. Um, what's your thoughts? Do you think there's anything in it? Um, I, I don't think they're doing it for entertainment value because it does look like there are cracks in the team. Yeah, I think some of the comments were very snarky from both sides. But as you say, I feel like Max needs an engineer who will kind of bite back and not just be like, oh, okay, you've like told me to shut up or whatever but we have seen like Lando Norris for example he has told his engineer throughout some on track sessions like shut up I need to focus be quiet I can't talk to you right now and in a race you do come under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure and you do have your own way of like thinking how it should play out especially Max if anyone is going to tell their engineer what they think they should do or disregard orders from the team. I feel like it would be Max. I don't think it was purely for the entertainment of the viewers as much as it was good to see the little, like, a little back and forth between them. I do think there is potentially an issue there. But no one outside of Max and his engineer will actually know. Exactly, like... Yeah, it, it could be that Max has started behind the scenes to get a little bit above his station. And maybe GP has been told by the higher-ups, look, just minimise that a little bit. Put him slightly back in his box. Because from a PR perspective, or whatever it might be, we need to do this. But also, how many times have you had conversations with a colleague where you've been having a bit of back and forth, it's a bit jovial, and you're like, oh, yeah, F off, mate, you know, like, as a joke, and it's all, like, kind of fun and games. But, obviously, those aren't broadcast around the world. So, that's, you know, there's a difference there. Um, but, yeah, maybe maybe Red Bull's HR department is an overdrive right now. Um, who knows? That's not... I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's it could just be... Honestly, it sounds so bizarre, but it could just be workplace banter. Yeah, like, yeah, no, it, it sounds, could. It sounds, sounds ridiculous saying that, but it could just be a bit of a laugh. It could. And, you know, F1 are going to be focusing in on Red Bull because they're dominating, right? We don't know what else. Well, unless you listen to all the different radio feeds, you don't know what else everyone's saying to each other. There are going to be so much things we've never heard before. But I think we've covered Red Bull. What were your thoughts on Mercedes this weekend? I'll start with you. It was a tough weekend, but they, I feel like Lewis Hamilton did quite a good job given the given the circumstances. Yeah, well, he said that 
the 2022 issue of Paul Poising has slowly started to come back. Obviously, the Saturday wasn't great for him, but I feel like they managed the race well. It was maybe more than what they were expecting because Hamilton did finish fourth. I feel like if there was a few more laps in the race, he could have potentially got in ahead of Gasly and got on the podium. Russell, again, I feel like there wasn't really much focus on Russell during the race. He was one of the drivers that it wasn't like the focus wasn't on him as much as compared to Hamilton. But yeah, it wasn't their best race, but it certainly wasn't their worst this season. I feel like there is more to come from the Mercedes, but yeah. I kind of feel like there's quite a few drivers. There wasn't really much focus on them. It was one of those races that just kind of got away from itself a little bit in terms of what's going on. And it was difficult because there was, with multi-stop races, I think we've become so used to strategy being this kind of, you know, everyone's going to come in at this point and, you know, give or take a few laps. And because there was a little bit more variation with that, I started to lose track of where people were. You know, all of a sudden, like, you know, you've got um, Norris who's coming early and you're like, why, why have they, why have they come in early? Like, you know, there might be rain in 10 minutes. Yes. Sometimes going on to a new set of slicks is the best thing to do if it's not yet time for intermediates. So on and so forth. But, and then all of a sudden you look again, he's worked his way back up to seventh. And it was a bit like in the Williams were all over the place. And it was a bit like kind of keeping track was a little bit more difficult, especially when they're not then given that, that spotlight or it's not spoken about. It's not, Oh yeah, they've done this. Let's cut to Ted. He's going to explain what's, what's going on here. So there was a little bit of that going on. You can have, you can work it out. You can fill in the gaps, but when you're trying to keep an eye on 20 cars, it's quite difficult. So it felt a little bit like one of those races, uh, to be honest. But like, for example, one driver that I thought had a better weekend than it looked was Daniel Ricciardo. Yes, obviously track limits affected him in in qualifying, proper qualifying. But there's, there's one lap pace in that car. And you saw that in sprint qualifying. It didn't quite work out in the way he wanted it to in the race in traffic he he was struggling but things working better in clear air there is pace there and but yuki snowd was able to turn it on yuki snowd had a great race um scored points so it's funny how the alpha tower yes it seemingly turned around in the last couple of rounds but also i think it does look like the the ricardo has elevated the performance out of that second seat um i think it's only two rounds in, but it does look like there has been a jump there and it does look po- more promising for the team. Whether or not they'll be able to take uh, take the fight to, to the teams above them over the rest of the season, I don't know. It's obviously still uh, still too early to call. But yeah, there's there's some really interesting narratives that just haven't, didn't quite get exposure over the race. And just touching on McLaren, obviously, Sam, you said Norris like pitted for slicks just before the rain came and then he was falling down the order and falling back up. And he did fall down the order quite a lot. He got overtaken a lot of times, but there was one move by Ocon and Albon, I believe, down one of the straights. Norris was ahead of them, but then they both went round either side of Norris to join back a back together in front to overtake him. And I don't think I've seen an overtake quite like that. So there were like lots of mini overtakes during the race. Yeah, I mean Norris, you got uh, his post-race interview. Bless him, he was saying like other drivers were coming up to him and like patting him on the back and being like tough on so mate, like you know, like you know, hung in there well kind of thing because clearly just 
carrying way too much wing, way too much downforce. He was saying that at one point he got a run on Alex Albon and even with DRS, Albon was able to pull three or four car lengths on the Kebble straight, even though he had had a run through a Rouge and Radion. And that must be really depressing. And yes, the Williams is quick in a straight line. And yes, Albon had a very low, low downfall setup, but that must be so frustrating. Um, so yeah, got a feel for him, but you know, strong performance nevertheless for him um but yeah um, it, yeah it was amazing to see his performance in the wet though right with all that yeah. extra downforce it was like he would have won the race if it were if it were in, in in the wet it was it was amazing and then you know as soon as uh you're, you're back to to normal racing conditions just back 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 it's it's a real good showcase actually for the for just how different and just how much of an effect a wet and a dry setup can have so that was the Belgian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen won his ninth race of the season with Sergio Perez finishing in second and Charles Leclerc rounding up the podium in third. It was Lewis Hamilton with the fastest lap finishing in fourth, Fernando Alonso fifth, George Russell in sixth, Lando, as we've spoken about, in seventh, Esteban Ocon in eighth, Lance Stroll in ninth, and Yuki Tsunoda finishing up the top ten in tenth. So let's move on to our drivers of the day. Abby, I feel like I've been picking on you for the last couple of shows. So I will let you pick George Russell first. <laughs> Why, thank you. Um, but no, I'm actually going to go with Gasly because as like over the whole weekend, whilst for the Grand Prix, he qualified in 12th and he finished outside of the top 10. He managed to make those soft tyres last 20 or so laps, which no, no other driver did. He was one of the last ones to pit. And he did have some good battles on track as well. And obviously, he got the podium on Saturday. So I'm going to go with Gasly as my driver of the day. Okay, Gasly. He was not in the top five from the fan vote on uh, on uh, F1, but uh, Abby's given it to him anyway. Uh, Sam, what are you going to give? Who, who are you going to give it to? I'm going to base mine pretty much solely on the Grand Prix. I'm going to give it to Espan Ocon. Have one of those quiet but very very assured drives had a couple of really nice overtakes as well moved up all the way through from p14 on the grid for p8 in a few points so yeah i think he had a, a, a really solid time of it there was another driver that very much sprung to mind for for driver of the day I'm not sure where you'll go so maybe we can come back around and discuss him in a minute uh, so, Sam, would you like to discuss my driver of the day, which is Yuki Tsunoda? Yes, I would like to discuss your driver of the day. That's what Yuki a race Tsunoda. it was. He absolutely oh, deserves fantastic. that. <laughs> Go on. I'll let you do it. No, it's, this is your part. No, I want to hear Yuki, Yuki was, he's been under pressure, hasn't he? He's got Danny Ricciardo as a teammate now. And all eyes are on him and what he can do. And mixed conditions are, uh, you know, it, it's... It's when drivers shine, you you really separate the men from the boys or the women from the girls, you know. Um, but it was the an absolute... children from the adults is the one that I went with this, <laughs> this weekend. So PC, I know. But it it, it really does. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda had a fantastic drive, and he's he's for me proven why he should retain that seat if it was ever in question. Uh, he absolutely deserves to be in F one. He he has had you know an up and down career, but. Weekends like these, when everything else is so up and down, he's been fairly consistent. Absolutely. Uh, another one I, I could have mentioned was Fernando Alonso, uh, who, yeah, again, 
difficult qualifying session, but a really solid race and and got the job done and has looked far better than Aston have in the last few weeks. Okay, so it is now the summer break. Abby, would you like to do the championship standings going into the summer break, starting with the drivers? Yes, so obviously no surprise who is leading it Max Verstappen on 314 points his teammate Perez is in second on 189 points so quite a big gap there Alonso is in third only one point ahead of Hamilton in fourth you then have Leclerc in fifth Russell sixth Sainz seventh Norris eighth Stroll ninth and Esteban Ocon in tenth and then for constructors Red Bull are leading on 503 points Mr Sadies are in second on 247 points. So, again, it's pretty obvious who's going to get the Constructors title. That's such a big gap. It is. Aston Martin are in sorry, third. Sorry, can I can I ask, at what point do Red Bull seal that title? Because it can't be that long. Early. Yeah. We're over halfway through the season. Yeah, and they've got and more than oh, half. Double, yeah, more than double More points, than double, so. sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know you're okay there. <laughs> Aston Martin are in third, Ferrari are in fourth, McLaren are in fifth, Alpine sixth, Williams seventh, Haas in eighth, Alfa Romeo in ninth, and Alfa Tauri in tenth. So it is now the summer break. As you know, we will be back on the 25th of August for the um, for the Dutch Grand Prix. Following that, it will be the Italian Grand Prix at Monza, and following that will be Singapore. So we've got some good races to come, but until then... We have a break. Guys, are you what have you thought of the season so far? Sam, I'll start with you. Give me give me a quick overview of, of what you've thought and what's to come. Remove one team and you've got an all-time classic. That's what I think of this season. It would have been absolutely superb if it weren't for Red Bull. But that isn't Red Bull's fault. They're doing what they should do and they should continue doing that because it is something to behold. Um what where I think it'll go from here. Well, you've either got the excitement of a team other than Red Bull winning race, or you've got the pure kind of majesty, I guess. I don't know how to describe it, of Red Bull potentially winning every single race or Grand Prix over the course of the season. We care less about sprint races, let's be, let's, let's be fair there. So yeah, it, there's a lot to play for still in that sense, even if the championships are, let's face it, all but sewn up. Yeah, it's almost like now we know that they're so dominant. It's almost how long can they keep it up? That's almost a bit getting a bit exciting now, right? Yeah, this like this morbid curiosity. Like morbid. <laughs> I mean, it's not that you know, kind of morbid, but it's this curiosity. Is like, could they? Like, could they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost inconceivable. And the pressure on them will start to mount, which is which is quite strange in a reverse sort of way that they're going to be so far ahead. Yet, will they drop the ball at any point? Well, exactly. Will that start to bring in mistakes? Mm. Will they overthink things? Will it get? Will, will these factors that have just never been at play start to come? Starts to become an issue. So that's us making it really exciting, Abby. I'm sure you think the same. But what have you thought of the season and 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 what's to come? Like Sam said, if you remove Red Bull, then. The other nine teams, it has been such an exciting season because they have all been up and down. They've all had issues, but they've all had strengths as well throughout the races. But Red Bull are winning. I feel like it's a no-brainer. They're going to continue to dominate. I would like to see another team win a race for the in the second half of the season. But realistically, I feel like Max is just going to 
take the victory in all of them. So it's been it's been good, but it has had some predictable points that are a bit meh, but it has been enjoyable to watch at some points. Well, do join us back for the Dutch Grand Prix review. But until then, uh, we will have News from the Nerds, where we will bring you the latest news from the world of F1. It may be a slightly reduced schedule, depending on how much news is actually coming out, but you never know. Please. During, <laughs> you never know during the uh, during the summer break, do you? Sometimes there's some craziness coming out. Yeah, sometimes... Uh... Australian kid picks up their phone in the middle of the day and <laughs> <Tweets>. just <laughs> yeah destroys or, or X's whatever X's, it is now yeah. my phone is finally updated I've lost the Twitter uh, icon very sad but anyway um, yeah I'm looking forward to a little bit of a, a break as I'm sure all the teams are um, but yeah I'm sure there'll be some news to cover so we will bring that to you uh, as it happens but until then Abby and Sam thank you very much for joining me Thank you, as always. Yes, well hosted from your new home. (laughs) Thank you. So we will see you next time. Until then, goodbye. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.